Hey, keep talking a minute, heavens, you got to help me out here. Um, listen, I, w- I want to give you a thought today that I think ties in with the way worship went today. And truly, how I believe the Lord is kind of working in our midst. Felt it Friday night that God is really doing some unique and wonderful things and bringing some change in our lives. And, and as I ponder that, even as we prayed this morning about certain elements in our lives, maybe needs that we have, and you know what I've come to understand? Everybody has needs. <laughs> Everybody. Um, it's so funny. I, I, Ellen came in to me today as I'm getting ready. And she said, have you noticed the spots in the bedroom floor where your closet is? Now, she was gently saying, your shoes are making the carpet dirty. <laughs> and, uh, and Ellen's so gracious in the way she phrased it. I said, no, I didn't. Are there? And she said, yes, two or three. What I've come to understand is most of us have some soil in our lives and soiled places. Most of us have some blemishes. Most of us have areas that Christ is working in us in this life. And we're going to talk about uh, today in the teaching that there's more than this life. But there is something that I I just wrote this week, and and let me share it with you. There is no perfect time for change. I mean, if you're waiting in your life for the perfect time to let Christ change you, I promise you it's not going to happen for this reason, because you and I will never find perfection. But there is, there is absolutely the perfect time for calling out to Jesus to help you change. And I want to tell you why that perfect is different than mine and your perfect. Because when we ask Jesus into the situation of our lives, He brings His perfection to us. Not to make us perfect, but He changes the dynamics of the situation. It may not be a perfect situation, but His strength enables us to see it differently. It may not be the perfect time of your life to say, Lord, why now? But here's the amazing thing. His strength gives us the capacity to do it, even though it may not be the perfect time. There is no perfect time for change, but there is a perfect time for calling out to Jesus to help us change. And what you and I have to do is not get absolutely worn out or weary of the struggle. Because I promise you this, I promise you this, the enemy is more weary from holding you down so long And you and I have to understand something. We are strong in our faith. Amen? Now listen, we're different people because of our faith. I know there are some of you going through situations today that would crush ordinary people, but you're not ordinary in Jesus. We have been made strong in the Lord. And so what we do in this very soil-stained life that we have sometimes is we keep moving forward to the future God is calling us to. Now, I want to I go to a scripture. This is not on the docket today. This is part of our read scripture this morning. And this is what, this is what the author writes. And now what does the Lord, our God, require of us? He requires that we fear the Lord 
And He requires that we live in a way that pleases Him and that we love Him and serve Him with all of our hearts and our soul. You see, we must always obey His commands. And I love what it says, that He gives us for our own good. He said, look up to the highest heavens. Look around this earth and everything in it. And realize that everything belongs to the Lord our God. That's a big God, isn't it? Yet this Lord, this God, has chosen you and me to be the objects of His love. (laughs) I don't care where you are this morning. You and I are the object of God's love. And He chose us above all the other nations. And then the writer says, therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. That phrase can be, change your hearts, and he's talking about give them to Him. And instead of stop being stubborn, it can read this way, stop trying to do it all on your own. And worship Him, and I love this phrase, and learn to cling to Him. The Apostle Paul speaks to the Thessalonians up until the passage that we're coming to today. And he has taught them, written to them, about how you and I can change in Christ. But today he's speaking to them in a way about something that's bigger than them and bigger than the now. I heard a story this week about a couple who were in their mid-80s, about 85 years old. And this couple had been married for over 60 years. And they, though, were in really great physical shape. And most of that was because the wife was very tenacious in their diet, in their exercise, and especially, if you will, she made certain that she made bran muffins instead of his favorite chocolate muffins. Now, my, myself, I like Ellen's Raisin Bran Muffins. Just want you to know that, sweetie. And one day they went on a rare vacation for them, but sadly, the plane crashed, sending them both to heaven. As they reached the pearly gates, St. Peter was there, He took them down the streets of gold. He brings them to this mansion that is absolutely fabulous. It's interlaid with gold. It has the finest silk in all the world. There is this large waterfall in the master bath. And Peter simply looks at them and says, Welcome to heaven. This is your home. And then he took them to the back patio, which overlooked a championship golf course. Bob, we can only hope for this, can't we? And every day, that course would change to a new, iconic golf course of the most famous golf courses on the face of this earth. And the old man looked at Peter and he said this, what are the green fees? And Peter said, this is heaven, brother. You can play for free every day, all day. 
He took them to the clubhouse and there set before them a buffet that was just unimaginable with all the food, steak, seafood, these ridiculous exotic desserts, free-flowing beverages. And the man turned to Peter and Peter said, don't even ask. This is heaven. You can eat all you want and it's free. And the old man looked around and in particular he looked at his wife and he said, well... Where are the low-fat and low-cholesterol foods? And Peter said, that's the best part. You can eat and drink as much as you like. You can have all the Krispy Kreme donuts you want. You will never put on one ounce and you will always stay healthy. You will never get sick. This is heaven. And the old man looked at his wife. He took his hat and he threw it on his ground. And his wife said, what in the world is wrong with you? He said, do you realize we could have been here 10 years sooner if it hadn't been for your brand muffins? (laughs) Ellen, I sure hope your brand muffins are that good, darling. That's what I'm counting on. Let me ask you a crazy question. What will you be most thankful for when you get to heaven. The Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians that he will be most thankful for them. Paul says it will be the lives that you and I have touched for Christ that will absolutely bring us the most joy because then we will fully recognize the blessing of eternal life, and we will fully recognize the blessing that God has given us with the opportunity to share the love of Christ with others. Paul said there's something bigger than us that waits for us. You know what? One of the things that I understand is you and I have to understand, we have to understand that a person's life that has been influenced by Jesus has the amazing capacity to have impact and influence in this life. Sometimes we underestimate that. Sometimes, if you will, we forget that. We forget that every life has within it the capacity to impact another But in particular, when we have the love of Christ and are able to share that and influence others for the sake of Christ, we should never underestimate the difference a life influenced by Jesus has. Listen, let me just read this story, and I think you'll get the drift of this. Edward Kimball was a shoe salesman in Chicago. But he had a burden for the young men. They called them street urchins in Chicago at that time. Most of them were homeless Most of them had no families. Most of them beg or stole for food every day just just to have something to live. But this is what Kimball did. He was out on the streets day after day after day just trying to share Jesus with them. Those that nobody else cared about, Kimball did. And one day, a young boy named D.L. Moody gave his life to Jesus. For those of you that don't know, Moody grew up to be one of the greatest preacher evangelists this world has ever known. In 1879, Moody won to the Lord a young man by the name of F.B. Meyer, who also grew up to be a great, great preacher. Meyer, therefore, went and won a young man by the name of J.W. Chapman to Christ. Chapman, in turn, grew up, became a preacher, 
an evangelist. He brought the message of Christ to a professional baseball player, and his name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday turned out maybe to be the greatest American evangelist the world's ever known. We'll read how that may be changed in a little bit. He was called to hold a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. Here's the thing. God blessed it so much that everyone that came, there was not enough room to get them into the place they were hosting. So what they did was called in another evangelist. His name was Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham came and spoke in another location. And that week, a young teenager named Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus. All of this started, friends, with one life, one man, who cared enough to reach another young man for the sake of Jesus. Now I want to tell you why that story matters even more to Ellen and me. Because honestly, Billy Graham has spoken to more people on the face of the earth than any other human being ever has. He has won countless of thousands and thousands of lives to the Lord. But two of those lives, two of those lives were the parents of our daughter-in-law. And our grandchildren's lives are different because somebody, somebody way back when cared enough to share Christ with another person. Lloyd Ogilvy once wrote, he said these words, without God we can't, but without us, God won't. You see, God has set a plan in place, friends. And I promise you that, play, that plan calls for you and me. It calls for our lives to help influence others' lives for the sake of Christ. And He brings to us not only His forgiveness, His redemption, His grace, His mercy, He also brings to us the promise of eternal life with Him. You see, honestly, we reach out with the understanding, we reach out with the understanding that eternity waits for every human being on the face of this earth. There is another side to this mountain. And in 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter, Paul kind of transitions he transitions because he wants the Thessalonians to understand, I want you to know something, there's something bigger coming. He does that because, we've talked about this, the intense persecution that they're feeling and how weary it is for them, how difficult it is for them. And Paul is so concerned for them because in verse 17 he says, we have been torn away from you. Now, the truth of the matter is they were torn away in such a way that they left in the middle of the night because their lives were under direct danger of being literally taken because of their faith. So the other believers encouraged them and said, you need to get out of town or you won't make it out of town. But Paul uses a word here, a phrase here that says, we have been torn away from you. That, that phrase literally means you have been orphaned. It means a person who's lost their mom and dad way before it's time. 
And we know in this letter, Paul has referred to the Thessalonians as he's been their father and their mother, and he's saying to them, I want you to know something. My heart is so broken because I'm not able to walk with you right now. I'm not able to help you right now. I'm not able to, to be present right now. I, I'll, any of you remember 9-11? I will never forget, friends, I had to fly across the country that next weekend. And you talk about the angst. I remember how quiet it was in the airport. I remember when I hugged Ellen and the boys goodbye. There was a different feeling than any plane I've ever boarded since or before. I remember the feeling, the, the great longing I had to be back home. I had this intense desire to get back. Paul says, I want you to know that's, that's the kind of longing I have for you. And notice what he says, though. We made every effort. It, it, it means that they were, it almost means to be covetous of someone, but it means, it means to be consumed by the desire to be around another person or thing. Paul says, that's the kind of, that's the kind of heightened awareness we have that when we left you. And notice what he says, for we wanted to come to you Again and again, and then he says this phrase, but Satan stopped us. Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand there is an entity that tries to stand in the way of the good of the kingdom. Some call him the devil, some call him Lucifer, some call him the prince of darkness, whatever, whatever you choose to refer him as. Paul wants us to know there's something there that battles against mine and your work in the kingdom. He says in Ephesians 6.12, and I want you to know because these are linked together. He said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this spiritual aid, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Paul's just saying, listen, it's bigger than you think sometimes. And because of verse 12, please know Paul wrote verse 11 to precede it, and this is what he says, therefore, be strong in the Lord... And His mighty power, he, He's setting a stage before He gives to them the reality of the evil. He wants them to know, you have something to combat it. And He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. You know what that phrase means? It means to plant your feet. It means to plant your feet. And to know you have a foundation to stand on. I don't know how many of you ever watched the NFL Combine. But if you missed this week where they were trying, they were working out the offensive linemen, and they are very large men. Did you know that? They're just massive human beings. And there was this little bitty coach holding this bag. And this behemoth of a man comes around the corner, and he hits this bag. And honestly, you saw... You saw this, bless his heart, this little coach, his little head just jerks back. The other coaches are dying laughing. I promise you, he's not laughing. But you want to know something? He never planted his feet. Paul says, I want you to know something. I want you to know something. It's important for us to understand there is something that works against the good of the kingdom. But it's even more important that we understand Jesus has conquered it. 
Have you ever found somebody that every time something happens in their lives, they think there's a, the boogeyman behind every bush? They live in fear? Paul says, listen, you don't have to do that. Put on the armor that, we, that God's given you. Plant your feet in Christ. And let's live this life in a great way. Martin Luther once says, if you don't believe in the devil, it's because you've never tried to resist him. Paul says, I don't want you to just believe in him. I want you to know he's been conquered. And Paul does so because Paul understands there's a promise of something greater. Listen to verse 19. He says, for what is our hope? What is our joy? What is the crown in which we glory? And notice what he says, in the presence of our Lord Jesus, and there's a phrase that he ends with, and it says this, when he comes. Paul said there's a hope that goes beyond this world. There's a hope that is bigger than our moments today and our struggles. I don't know about you, I love March 1. I have hope. We passed January and February. Praise the Lord. I have hope. I, you can ask Ellen. I'm giddy on March 1. Paul was giddy when he talked to the Thessalonians because he wanted them to know, I promise you, no matter what you're enduring right now, there's a hope bigger than you. Second word he uses, and there is... Joy, but he uses the phrase, our joy. It's a very personal joy. It's not a joy that not only a group of people can feel, but it's a joy that literally resonates in an individual's life. It is a joy that literally brings with it a depth to it that you understand that the present struggles we face will literally be overtaken by this joy that Christ will ultimately bring to us. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, For our light and momentary troubles, and listen, let's don't make light of that, because sometimes those troubles are heavy. But Paul says, I want you to know something. They're achieving inside us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He, what he wants you to know is, your joy is bigger than the weightiness of your problems. And we will experience that in heaven one day. And then he says this phrase. There's something else he says. And that is the crown in which we glory. The crown here represents, if you will, a symbol. It is a victory. It is the wreath that was placed on an athlete's head when they won something that they had worked hard to accomplish. In the same way, this, this is a moment, Paul wants us to know, that it's not just a symbol of victory. It's a moment of absolute and sheer celebration. It's a celebration that's bigger than anything we've imagined in our lives. And 2 Timothy 4 says, we have fought the good fight, we have finished the race, and we have kept the faith. 
And now there is in store for us the crown of righteousness. And notice what he says, which the Lord will award me on that day. Please know something, friends. It's not just some judge that's been judging an athletic contest that's going to place the crown on your head or the medal around your neck. He says, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus himself will greet you that day, crown you that day. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something to celebrate, doesn't it? I love a story told by a pastor. His name was David Peterson. He was working on his sermon one day, and his little daughter came into the room, and she said, Daddy, can we go out and play? He said, Honey, I'm right in the middle of writing. If you'll give me an hour, I promise you, we'll go out and, we'll go out and play. And she goes, So, Daddy, when you do, I promise you, I'm going to give the biggest hug to you you've ever had. And he said, I can't wait, sweetie. And she turns around and is heading out the door. And no sooner had she gotten to the door than she turns right back around. I love the phrase he used. She, she gave me the biggest chiropractic bone-breaking hug I've ever had. And he said, honey, I thought you said you were going to wait till after we played. She said, daddy, I just wanted you to know what you have to look forward to. That's what Paul wants us to know. Paul wants us, Paul wants the Thessalonians to know something. There's a hope, there's a joy. There's a glorious celebration that will one day be shared in Christ's presence and God the Father's. Paul is saying, I want you to know there's something we can look forward to that's bigger than us. There's something more. And this is what Paul wants us to know. That moment, even as great as it will be, please hear me, that moment of joy and celebration will be multiplied, will be multiplied as we share it with those that our lives have touched and influenced for Jesus because we look around and we realize we've had a small part, just a small part, just a link in the chain of helping somebody else find this kind of blessing and celebration. In the year 2000, the leaders of Charlotte, North Carolina, contacted Billy Graham. He was called their favorite son. And they asked if he would come so that they might just hold a celebration of his life and thank him for all he had done for the area and the region. During this time, Graham was already really struggling with Parkinson's disease. And he hesitated, but his family encouraged him. The city reached out and said, please, Billy, just let us express our appreciation to you. You don't have to give a major address or anything. So he agreed. And some wonderful things were said about him, as you would expect, and well-deserved. And then he stepped to the podium. And he said, today I am reminded of Albert Einstein. Who in his brilliance was literally crowned the man of the century. And I'm remembering a story of Einstein traveling from Princeton to New York City on the train. You know what? I've been on that train many times. 
And he says this, it happens the conductor was walking his way up and down the aisle and there he's punching the tickets. And I want you to know, friends, if you've never been there and seen this, they make it an art. And the conductor walks up to him and Einstein touches his vest pocket. He touches the other one. He goes into his coat pockets. He goes into his pants pockets, his back pockets, and he can't find his ticket anywhere. And, you know, it was known that that Einstein literally lost thousands upon thousands of dollars because he'd be reading a book and use his paycheck as a bookmark and forgot where he put it. And finally, the conductor looked at him and said, Mr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. I know who you are. (laughs) In fact, everybody on this train knows who you are. And don't worry about it. We we know that you've bought a ticket, so, so don't think one more thing of it. And he walked on down the aisle. And as the conductors do, they leave one car and make their way to another. But before he did, he turned around. And there was Einstein on the floor looking under his seat trying to find his ticket. And the conductor literally ran back to him. He said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, please hear me. I know who you are. You don't have to worry about this ticket. And Einstein, a little just flirted, he said, young man, I know who I am too. I just don't know where I'm going. And with that, Billy Graham took a breath and he said, you see this suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My wife, my children, my grandchildren have all been telling me, and I love this phrase, it's a great southern phrase. They've told me that I've gotten a little slovenly. That means a little pudgy around the edges. So I went out and I bought a new suit for this luncheon and for one more occasion. And you know what that occasion is? This is the suit in which I will be buried. But he said, but when you're here, I'm dead. I don't want you to think about the suit. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I know where I'm going. And here's the good news, friends. So can we. We can know that kind of hope. We can know that kind of joy. We can know that kind of peace. We can know that kind of celebration. We can bank our lives on that truth and our future. But more than that, we can multiply it. We can multiply it by taking the opportunity and being intent on living our lives in a way that will touch others' lives for the cause of Jesus. Now, let me just close by sharing the intent of the teaching, and I'll be quiet. As a congregation, as a congregation, you and I, we exist to make an eternal difference in this world. We have been given a ridiculous blessing, a ridiculous opportunity to be about kingdom business. 
And I want you to understand something today. If you, if you don't catch anything else, I want you to understand our all-in campaign is not about buildings and land. It is about increasing our opportunities that will give us the opportunity to offer Christ to others. We can share His hope. We can share His joy. We can join in the celebration that's bigger than us. And Jesus told him this story. What if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost? What will he do? Jesus said that person will leave the 99 and he'll go and search for the one that is lost. I love the phrase, until he finds it. And when he finds it, he will joyfully, wait, don't you love the word? He will joyfully carry it on his shoulders back to home. And then when he arrives, he'll call all his friends and his neighbors and he'll say this, hey, come, come party with me. <laughs> Come on now, we got a celebration to throw here. Come on and let's have a party. Let's celebrate that what has been lost is found. And he said, in the same way, in the same way you can count on this, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have never strayed away. That's our business, Catalyst. That's why these commitments today matter so much because they matter for eternity. And I ask you today to just take some time even as, as John is graciously playing and prayerfully ask God what, what you need to give. And then after a moment, the great team's going to lead us. We'll stand. And then we're going to make our way to that giving box and we're just going to place those cards in. And as you do, do me a favor. Just say a brief prayer. Lord Jesus, bless these gifts as you did the fishes and the loaves. So God, so we can do more for your kingdom. And Catalyst, that will be enough. Amen and amen. Let's stand.